Welcome to the Stay Sustainable podcast. And our very special guest today is Mike Robinson, head of retail solutions and founding member at the Eighth Notch Incorporated. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Alec. Really happy to be here and really look forward to this discussion. Awesome. Well, great to have you here. I love uh, talking about people's careers, not just what they're doing about today. So let's start with your career journey, starting with your first job after college. Okay. Um, after college, uh, I went, I, well, it, there is nothing linear about my career. So what I will tell you, it, it will, will look like it's sporadic, but it all comes together for a reason. My first job after college was I followed on a, uh, a couple of internships that I had done at McNeil Consumer Products, which was a Johnson & Johnson company outside of Philadelphia. And I, and I worked as a, a financial analyst for them uh, in their manufacturing facility. Cool. And, um, and after that, um, you know, you worked at IBM at a, a real interesting time, 2001 to 2005, you know, the internet bubble had popped in March, 2000. IBM must've seen a pretty safe bet at that time. By the time you left, they had sold their PC business to Lenovo. So tell us a little bit about that experience and, and what you learned. Yeah. I, I, and, and I want to be able to connect the dots between where I was with McNeil Consumer Products and how I got to IBM. Um, you know, my time at McNeil was focused on being a financial analyst, but it was also, it kind of gave birth to my entrepreneurial spirit because we did an act, we did an acquisition of another, uh, consumer products company, the, the, the Mylanta brand of N assets. And, and it, and it came with a manufacturing facility in Pasadena, California. So I moved from Philly out to Pasadena to be part of the manufacturing team from a cost accounting and a financial accounting perspective. My job was to learn the business and then figure out how to shift it back to Reading, Pennsylvania, which I was supposed to come along with it as a gift with purchase. And I decided I didn't want to go along, so I stayed behind and jumped into management consulting at that point. That's when I started with Price Waterhouse. Um, I, I went from Price Waterhouse to Price Waterhouse Coopers to a boutique firm in, in San Francisco. And then when the bubble burst, uh, I took a little bit of time off. And then went uh, went back to Price Waterhouse Coopers in, in the consulting organization, and we were right on the verge of being acquired. And the question was, who was going to do the acquisition? And it ended up being IBM. And and there's tons of stories and back back uh, back office uh, intrigue associated with that in terms of how the whole deal came down. But 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 it was an interesting time to be at IBM because they were starting their transformation journey from being a hardware company being a services and software company and ultimately a cloud company. And the acquisition of PricewaterhouseCoopers Consulting became IBM Global Services was at the tip of the spear for that, right? And it was, you know, going in and starting to understand how do you service your customers, but also how do you service them with IBM products as well? And, and, and that became a very, very different conversation because previously in my tenure at PwC, we were independent. Now we were definitely dependent on on parts of the mothership. Very cool. Yeah, you, your, your career has definitely been nonlinear. It reminds me of the book On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Um, <laughs> I talk about that later. And, and you call, when we were talking before, you called yourself an accidental retail executive, but a lot of retail experience too, Gap, Macy's. How, how yeah. is retail different from other types of businesses? Yeah, it's, it's well, it, I, I describe it as being different because it was surprising to me 
it, it was around the, I'd, I'd spent a good amount of time in high tech, biotech, and fin services. And those are not immediate gratification businesses, right? But those are things with long, long business plans and long uh, roadmaps. And hopefully you hit the market correctly and you find out at that point as you whether you win or you lose. Retail is about immediate gratification, right? And it was about, you know, you're only as good as yesterday's sales. And, 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 I, and I grew very attracted to the psychological component of how do I help customers understand that the things that they want are the things that they need, right? And being able to change the way that they think. You know, a part of it was both the immediate gratification, but I, but I fell in love with, customer, with, with uh, the customer's experience as well, especially in the digital space, which is where I spent all of my retail time in terms of how could you take this open white space world and create something that hadn't been created before or if it was created, how do you continually make it better? Because it was the perfect test and learn environment. Yeah, I think uh, it sounded like you did a pretty good job at that at Macy's. So uh, before we talk about the eighth notch, though, I, I, where, you're, where you are now, obviously, let's, let's talk a bit about your, your board work. You've been a board member at sure. Vista Outdoor for a while now, something like five years, I think. Yep. Yeah, my, um, you know, it, it, it really happened as I left Macy's and, and you know, really proud of the work that we did there, being able to grow the channel from 700 million to 7 billion while I was there. You know, both I, I, I had the technology chair and then I had the channel uh, ownership chair. Uh, but, but, but I made a decision after I left there in 2018 that I wasn't sure I wanted to go back and do big retail operating roles again. But one thing I knew I wanted to do is I wanted to do board work. And and, and finding a public board position for a middle-aged white male is not the easiest thing in the world to do, right? And, and rightfully so. I think that we are making the right adjustments from, from a diversity standpoint. But I found one, and I feel very, very fortunate that I found one because the five years that I've spent with Vista has been really interesting as we've taken what was you know 100% a consumer products company and converting it to being not only consumer products but also direct-to-consumer. We've got, you know, you know, 36 great brands that we bring to market. You know, the you know, names that people know like Camelback and Bushnell and Camp Chef and others. And, and then we've done a series of acquisitions over the last couple of years to both, you know, drive growth, but also drive the portfolio. And, you know, being a board member, I found was one of the more transformative professional moments in my career. Of, I could no longer think like an operator. I had to think like a shareholder, right? And in terms of how am I always thinking about shareholder value instead of just thinking about, can I deliver the quarter? That's a great, great perspective. I love that. Um, and uh, I'm a, a board member for a couple of private companies, which has been uh, a lot of fun, but uh, the public share, public uh, companies and thinking about shareholders is super important and part of what, what makes capitalism work. So thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, it's time to tell us the eight notch, eighth notch origin story. I think. Yeah, and and uh, I guess the way that I like to tell this is that I believe that many great origin stories start on a golf course. Uh, in in terms of you know, you know, people talking, people sharing ideas, people having a perspective, and and it really was born out of you know COVID's extended lockdown and how we all started to become much more dependent on having everything that we needed or wanted brought to us and delivered, you know, to our doorstep. 
and it drove e-commerce adoption and volume. And it, and it came down to, you know, I'm playing golf with Jamie Sapp, who is the founder of, 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 of the Eighth Notch. We're playing at his course east of San Francisco here, and it's surrounded by a neighborhood. And delivery truck went by and he, he looked at me and said, how many times is that delivery truck or one like it come down your street? And I said, multiple times a day and every day of the week. And he goes, I want to change that. I said, I want to change that. And I think there's a business around that. I think that's inefficient and I think there's a better way of doing it. And I think that we can not only save money, but we can probably have a sustainability impact if we really, really, really think about it well. And that was that, that was the germination of the idea, right? In terms of if we figured out a better way of how do we synchronize when deliveries are happening to your doorstep? Is there a way to minimize the number of times that a delivery truck has to come to your house? You know, one of the things that, that, that I was curious about was, you know, how would, how would, you know, back to my customer experience, uh, you know, notion, how would, how are, how are consumers thinking about this? And there's a series of studies that have continued to support this, that there is a growing wave of support that says, if you can figure out how to do it in a more sustainable pattern, I'm more than willing to wait a little bit longer or to not only have, or not, not have everything brought to me immediately. Yeah, I totally buy that. The other thing I'd say there is, uh, especially for uh, uh, those listeners who are thinking about startups or at startups is fall in love with the problem, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and figure out how to fix it. And and tell us yeah, about- sorry sorry can, can can I go a little deeper on that on that point I, I mean I think that is why I am here right I'm a I'm a big company operator but I decided late in my career to figure out how to be a you know a founding member of a of a novel startup that is not guaranteed to succeed but it's because of the problem right and and I fell in love with it and frankly it's the reason why I'm talking to, to you today is that we are. We, we are trying to use the megaphone as much as we po- can as possible because we love the problem and we think it's really, really novel and important. Totally agree. And uh, I really hope it works. It would be awesome. And tell us about your role at the, the Eighth Notch. Yeah, as, as <laughs> it's definitely more than just playing golf with Jamie, right? <laughs> Even though Jamie and I do continue to battle it out on the lakes. Um, I was employee number three. Um, I don't have a defined role because I think, you know, when you've got a startup of less than 10 people, it's hard to say that everybody has a defined role. So I do a lot of product management. Um, I do a lot of general management. Um, I, you know, as, as I mentioned, I am, I am operating as the company's megaphone right now in terms of coming out to tell our story and to amplify it as much as possible. Myself and Jamie is the founder and another founding member. We are kind of the, the, the management team that works directly with our board from an overall direction and also from a funding perspective, investor relations, et cetera. So, you know, I've got my hands dirty in a lot of different places, right? Right. In terms of, you know, you know, how we, how we think about the product, how we build the product, how we deliver the product, how we bring it to market and how we, and how we communicate it. Awesome. Tell, tell us more about the AI that's being used at the eighth notch. I, I, I can't get through dinner without someone saying chat GPT at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and I don't want to oversell or undersell what we're doing from an AI perspective, right? I think everybody believes that chat GPT is this magical black box, right? right? That all you got to do is ask questions and, and miracles will happen. We're not using chat GPT. That is, that, that, that is a very broad interpretation with, 
<clears throat> mountains of information, you know, petabytes of information from all kinds of areas, trying to figure out incredibly complex problems. We have what I would consider a narrow AI, right? Right. It is. It is. It is suited to the problem that we're trying to solve, and it is utilizing the data that we have available or that we can generate to figure out how to solve it better. It's very, very focused. It's probably more akin to machine learning than, than it is to AI, but it's always a little bit. It's a little bit sexier to call it AI than than in, in, in terms of machine learning, but 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 at the end of the day, what we're looking for is we're looking for patterns, and every time that we can you know that we find a pattern, can we exploit it? And in some cases, can we be predictive in nature in terms of what we're attempting to do? Which is we're trying to figure out how to minimize the number of times that that truck stops at your house, but still maximizes the delivery of any product from any retailer coming and and going into that truck just doing it in a more synchronized manner. Uh, we, we believe that there are multiple applications that we can take that narrowness and start to broaden it out in terms of we're, we're focused on the doorstop, the actual address. You can go back into the neighborhood, right? That you can start thinking about that. You can move back in terms of, you know, a city block. You can move back in terms of, you know, a zip code. You can move back and start talking about the entire carrier network. You can move back and go all the way back to the retailer operation and how they're scheduling their warehouse. You can go all the way back and put it in front of the consumer and say, I'm going to give you choice now. You can choose what day. You can choose what day and you can choose to do the right thing because when you choose the day that we offer to you, you're doing it in a more sustainable manner. So the AI that we built in this very narrow fashion, we're going to continue to broaden all the way back to the point of when, when the consumer is involved in the conversation. Awesome. Well, look, you have the data. Machine learning is great at pattern recognition. This, this sounds uh, uh, sounds pretty plausible. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about working, uh, more about Jamie and about working with Jamie. Yeah, Jamie, and, 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 and you know, to, to understand the relationship, I have to make sure that people understand. Jamie and I have been friends for 15 years before we started this. And one of the things that was very, very key and one of the key things that I said to him at the beginning was, I will always value the friendship more than I'll value this business relationship. And if business gets in the way of friendship, I'll always choose friendship. It hasn't gotten in the way yet, right? And, it, and it's actually the quality of the friendship allows us to be really, really good business partners. Um, you know, he is, um, he is a guy that, that has been very focused on solving problems in the supply chain space for, 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 for a long time. He has worked in that space. He's worked both on the carrier side and on the retailer side. He has a very keen perspective for, from a technology standpoint in terms of what works to satisfy both partners in that dialogue. Um, but it's very, very key for me to ensure that the team understands that he's the alpha, right, at all times. We're a small company and we don't need to have power dynamics, right? Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So anytime that there is, you know, a decision necessary, I, I make sure that Jamie is the guy that has to make that decision. Uh, and then and then completely supportive of, of it and move forward. Um, but he's a he's a thoughtful leader. Um, he is someone that is incredibly passionate about this space. Right. I mean, uh, I never thought I'd be passionate about this space because I, I'm a guy that likes to sell things. He's a guy that likes to deliver things, right? And he's made me passionate about changing the way that delivery is done. And that is, 
that's pretty unique, I think, right? Because I, I, I didn't think I'd ever care about this part. I can't believe I care about this part as much as I do. And I, I heard that the name, the eighth notch, is is really a tribute to Jamie's dad. If you could tell our listeners about that, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty cool origin story around you know it, it, because it was you know it, it was probably forty eight hours after he and I had had the conversation on the golf course that he said I got a name for the company and a logo right so and and he said you know look my dad was Jamie's father was a railroad man and the eighth notch is the most powerful and efficient setting on a locomotive. And he said, I want to use that metaphor to talk about how we always ensure that we're thinking about, you know, doing the right thing, but being as efficient as possible every time that we are making, you know, some type of product change or some type of process change or some type of improvement. And it's, and it's, and, and because it was something that his dad taught him at a very early age is that if I can ever get it to the eighth notch, that's where that locomotive drives, drives the best. So it's a nice homage to him. And I, you know, Look, I, I mean, I don't think people think railroads are sexy anymore, right? But, but I think anytime, but, but they're still here and they're still effective and they're still an incredibly important part of our supply chain. You can make old things seem new. And what we're trying to do is the same type of thing with this notion of how do I change that, that delivery at your doorstop in a, in a fundamentally different way? Yeah. And besides your depth of experience and relationships, what do you think your secret sauce is? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's one that I, uh, you know, I, I asked myself that a lot. Um, I, I, think, I, I think you hit on it a little bit in terms of the passion that's been developed around, around this space. Um, I think the timing, and I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, my career is nonlinear, but everything makes sense now. Right, everything's come together now in terms of w- what it meant to have a financial background, right? What what it meant to have an e-commerce background, what it meant to have a consulting background, what it meant to have um, a program management background, what it means to you know be a board member now and an advisor to startups. All of those things have come together to allow me to be kind of the best version of myself in a ten-person company, right? As we're and and we're trying to figure out something that we think has the chance to change the world. Awesome. And what do you think your biggest challenge is over the next year besides raising awareness like you're doing today? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, um, the one thing that I haven't mentioned is we have a strategic partnership with one of the two major carriers in, in the U.S. I can't tell you which one, but you could flip a coin and you'd be right half the time and wrong half the time, right? They they service somewhere between three and three and a half billion packages a year. That strategic relationship uh, allows me to have reach into their accounts. And so the retailers that we are either implemented with, implementing, or about to implement with are the major re- retailers in the U.S. This is a scale problem for me, right? Can I, can, I, can I grow the team fast enough? Can I grow the capability fast enough to keep up with what is, you know, a, you know, a multi, multi, multi billion dollar partner. And that's really the challenge. We believe we can because of the simplicity of the solution and because of the approach that we've taken and the fact that we've created something that is really pretty easy to integrate and operate. But that, 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 you know, you know, that commitment to growth and that ability to add talent to, to be able to support it is probably the piece that I'm most concerned about. We're at the bottom of the hockey stick, right? Right, and I know that hockey stick has a pretty, uh, pretty acute curve to it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are still some people floating around uh, who left the big uh, tech companies, but uh, I think they're starting to get snapped up, to be honest. They are. They are. And, and what's, your, what's your favorite part of the job? My favorite part, I did not think this was going to be my favorite part of the job, but my favorite part of the job is talking about it, right? I, this, this part of it and the, and the passion that it's in, ignited in me that I did not know I was going to be an echo warrior, but apparently I am, right? I am just as committed to the financial savings that are associated with this, which are sizable. And if there are people out there interested in learning more, reach out and let me know but the sustainability savings are just as impactful. And frankly, at scale, start to make a difference because they start taking trucks off the road. And, and if you can take something off the road, you, you can take something out of the system right now, it is effectively, it's not you know, carbon offset, it's not you know, carbon, uh, uh, you know, uh, you're not eliminating carbon, it's carbon avoidance, right? right? You found a way to eliminate, to, to minimize the need for it. And that to me has become really, really exciting. And the fact that I get to talk about it with, you know, smart, smart folks like you means that, you know, people are listening and, and, and I just want to make sure that we get our message out as broad as possible. Yeah. Brilliant idea. And, uh, in the show notes, you can find a link to the eighth notch. If you want to learn, learn more about the company and connect with Mike. So I'm going to switch to the next section, which is the advice section. Um, sure. So we start off just a very general, like what's a great piece of advice you've gotten that you're still using? Hmm. You know, I, I, there's, that there's, that there's two I could choose from. I'm, I'm going to choose the one that I normally go with because I think it's, it's something that um, my uncle instilled in me when I was, 19 years old and doing an internship at American Express on Wall Street, right? Because I was, you know, country bumpkin kid in an ill-fitting suit, you know, with hopefully socks that didn't clash with my shoes in some way, shape or form. But, but he basically said, and he said, and he said, this is where it starts for you, Mike. And he goes, but from this point forward, make sure that whatever you do, whomever you interact with, find a way to leave, you know, the business, the process, the interaction, the friendship better than you found it, right? Focus your energies on how, how can you collaborate? How can you create? How can you advance together? And, and this is something that I'm still resisting at 58, you know, which is the urge to be right, right? I, I, I mean, I think too often, I, I, you know, the need to be right gets in the way of advancing that relationship. And, it's, and this is something that, you know, I wish I... I did more often and I wish I had done it at more consistently throughout my twenties and thirties and forties. It's something I'm trying to do much more in my fifties. Yeah, that's actually great advice. I've seen the best traders I know, and I've known a lot of traders and proprietary traders on wall street are the ones that can change their minds um, right. when they decide they're wrong. And usually those guys make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so for young people that want to do what you are doing today, What's your advice? Yeah, and 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 this is this is the piece of advice that um, I would give w w whether they want to be a startup, whether they're looking to work in the sustainability space or not. But just you know, there's this there's this need that I think we all need to practice practice strategic patience because the world is changing around us, right? Uh, I, I mean, 
what is true today isn't true tomorrow and what is true tomorrow won't, won't be true the next day. Um, you know, when, when, when Jamie, you know, leaned over to me on the 10th green and said, what do you think about this idea? You know, we can, we totally convinced ourselves this was an easy path to success. You know, the premise made sense. You know, we, we kind of got drunk on the business model. We believed it was something, but giving birth to a, a, a company during COVID lockdown, I, I don't know if that was the smartest thing in the world to do, but it's what we did. And, and, I, and I believe that, that it, what we learned was where we started isn't where we're at and where we're at isn't where we will end. And I think people just have to recognize you have to understand what the environment is telling you, find your through line, but understand that you're going to change everything else around that in some way, shape, or form. And it's okay if, if where you end up isn't where you started. Totally agree on that. And, um, and how about... Um, some good advice you would give to say a startup founder in the sustainability space. So someone with more experience and yeah, hopefully some backing. Yeah. I, yeah I, I mean, I think I would, I think I'd go down, I think I'd go down a similar line, right. That, and, and I think I'd come back to just what, what I would do in terms of my own career to don't assume your path is formulaic. Right. Right. I mean, I think everybody assumes it's, you know, I got a great idea. I put together a pitch deck. I, I go get some money. Uh, and all of a sudden I have an IPO and I'm a unicorn, right? You know, I, I mean, don't, that doesn't happen very often, right? And so I think people are going to have to recognize, especially in the sustainability space, that they're going to have to figure out how to be different, how to be unique in some way, shape, or form. I think there's a lot of um, uh, confusion in this space. I think there's a lot of sleight of hand in some cases. Uh, but I think also if they can focus, and, and, and I you know, our VC said this to us. They said, you're, you're one of the few that we've come across that is literally looking at an inefficiency and trying to create efficiency from it. And when you do that, you unlock dollar value and sustainability value. And they look at that and go, that deserves to be in the marketplace because that's different. That's unique. And I think if you can figure out the, and, and there's, and all we have to do is take a look outside and take a look at our daily lives and realize that there are points of inefficiency out there that, that are driving, you know, carbon in some way, shape or form. Pick one, pick one and see if you can figure out how to break the inefficiency to unlock the value. Awesome advice. How about advice for the CEO of a mid-sized company thinking about how to use AI? Cause that's going to be a big deal. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure that I'm the best guy, but I'll give it a shot, Alec, right? Um, I think, you know, as we talked a little bit at the early part about generative AI being the magic black box, um, I, I think you got to pick a lane, right? I think you got to pick a lane and try it, right? And then I think you got to experiment and learn. You got to figure out what it is you want to do with it. You know, we've chosen to go a narrow AI to definition that will broaden over time. I think generative AI starts incredibly broad and you have to figure out how to narrow towards it. And, and I think it's, it's, it's super valuable finding something that, that, that really creates defendable change as well, right? Because the, you know, the, the, the perception of generative AI is that anybody can do anything at any time. All you got to do is figure out how to ask the right question, right? And it's developing an entire cottage industry, you know, allegedly to be able to do that. 
Um, I think you got to figure out the narrow thing that you want AI to do better for you. And then, and then really iterate on that to come up with something and then look to broaden out from there. Yeah, that's very similar to advice we got from Pat, Patrick Bangard on this podcast a couple months ago. Like figure out the problem you're trying to solve and use the yep. AI to try to solve yep. it as opposed to the other way around, which is very good advice. I'm going to switch gears now. Um, you know, obviously the, the fires in, in Maui in August were terrible. I know you're a big believer in uh, disaster and humanitarian relief. And what's the best way we can help as individuals? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's almost overwhelming because um, Maui is a place that I've had the great joy of visiting on a number of occasions. And Lahaina is, has some really special, special memories for me. And it's devastating, right? Right. To see it is, I, I mean, I've, you know, that there's, you know, that there's clearly a need to help now. And I'm not sure that I've figured out the right mechanisms. You, you, you and I were talking pre-call about some, some options that are out there. I mean, the Red Cross is the Red Cross, right? Right. Do you, do you, do you trust, you know, can you go through your own churches? You know, are there other organizations? Because there is this outpouring of support that, that is happening now. Maui Strong is probably, you know, a searchable term now that would give you a hundred options to be able to do it. I, I think the question that I'm asking myself, because I've given, I've given already, I just don't want to give and forget, right? Because unfortunately, this is a multi-year recovery process. And, and this is something that, that is going to require um, con- continued investment and continued support in some way, shape, or form. So that's what I'm looking for right, right, right now is what organizations are going to be there for the next five years? What, what organizations can I start to funnel support in? Because, look, we just had Hurricane Hillary in Southern California and 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 the Southwest yesterday, right? There are recovery moments already happening around that. We're about to go through a hurricane season in Florida and the and the East Coast, and so we're going to have those moments as well. If you care about this one, find a way not to forget and find a way to figure out how to invest on an, on a continual basis. Yeah, it's interesting. I got a, a uh, we were talking earlier, I got an email from um, someone I know there and uh, they were recommending the Maui Strong Fund at the Hawaii Community Foundation mm. where all the money will go to Maui. So I've, I've given some money there. And um, and the other thing I thought was interesting and, and really not intuitive is the uh, they're asking people not to go to West Maui to stay in Lahaina, et cetera. But they do want people, like literally now, to go stay in other places like, uh, you know, Wailea and uh, sure. on the Northeast and things like that, which were not impacted because obviously most of the business on the island is tourism. And if no one shows up, they've got a problem. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point is that, you know, you, you can vote with your dollar in a multiple way, right? You can either give or you can continue to go and support, right? And if you had a trip planned to Maui, still go. It just may mean you end up in a different part of the island. Because it's a beautiful island. Absolutely. Yeah, Hawaii's a wonderful place. So the segment in the last few minutes or so is called Underrated or Overrated and allows you to answer and then give your brief reason why. So we're going to kick it off with Donald Fisher, founder and chairman of The Gap, who passed away in 2009. Underrated or overrated? Yeah, underrated. And um, people need to know more about him. Uh, Don Fisher was maybe one of the single greatest men I've ever met in my life, both from an entrepreneurial and a humanitarian, as we're talking about Maui and charitable perspective. I mean, humble greatness is the way that I think about Don Fisher. 
an amazing man. Living in San Francisco, underrated or overrated? <laughs> Question I get from uh, friends and family around the country. Um, it's overrated. I mean, the stories of the city's decline are real, right? Right. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a gritty city right now. But uh, and we'll come back to Don Fisher. You know, as Don once said, and I, I think, I think, I think he may have put it on a T-shirt at some point. A setback is just a setup to a comeback. And it's hard for me to believe that San Francisco, which needed a reset on many, many things, and we got it, uh, isn't going to find a way to recover. Yeah, the big companies are sticking around for sure. And speaking of San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants World Series chances this year. Alec, Alec, you are are a cruel man, right? Uh, As a beloved, as a a uh, long-time San Francisco Giants fan, uh, uh, completely overrated. I, I mean, it's a cruel question. Uh, the team has hit 100 over the last, you know, 34 games or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they are struggling. I'm a fan to the end because they're still in it on the wild card. Yep, trusty Yankees fan to ask that question. And uh, <laughs> uh, getting an MBA from Pepperdine, underrated or overrated? You know, it, it wasn't my first choice. I had an... I, I was... That this, that this was when I was with Johnson & Johnson and they sent me to Southern California for a couple of years and, I, and they said, we'll pay for an MBA while you're there. And because I only had two years, Pepperdine was, was the only one that fit because I, I looked at other Southern California schools. It ended up being a fantastic experience. Great faculty, great school, great student base. And the way I did it, which I broke it up over a number of years, which was both part-time and the executive MBA program, that flexibility just worked for me. And, and I have made some lifelong friendships out of it. And, you know, I'm, I feel very, very fortunate that I have my MBA from Pepperdine. That's awesome. Yeah, my, one of my wife's really close friends went to the law school and, and also thought it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, attending Penn State in the 1980s. Um, the 80s were maybe the best decade to be at Penn State. It's underrated, you know. And as I like to, you know, obviously I've shared a little bit about how old I am. I'm just glad I went to college before social media. And I'm sure that lots of others feel the same way. Gotta love that. Uh, Storyteller, the book by Dave Grohl, who, for those listeners who are not music fans, uh, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, pretty famous guy. Underrated or overrated? Incredibly underrated. It's one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years or so. I mean, he is absolutely a bona fide rock star, as you mentioned, with the drummer for Nirvana and then started the Foo Fighters out of the tragedy of the Kurt Cobain situation. And that arc of that story of how he took tragedy and built and built success out of it. It's a really, really, really incredible read. Golf as a hobby, underrated or overrated? And that these don't get easy, do they? There's only one answer. It's overrated, right? And, 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 and we were talking in the pre-call, you know, I mean, I don't know why anybody would do something that causes you constant heartache and call it fun, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I can't wait to play. In fact, I leave for Scotland on, on Friday. Super. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, either the 1980s or the 2000s version, underrated or overrated? As much as I love Lauren Green, uh, the 2000s version, uh, completely underrated because uh, it ain't just science fiction. It's about the human condition, too. Yep, a lot of good science fiction is. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. <laughs> Uh, even though I live, uh, just at the tip of the Valley and I have a lot of those wines and I'm on the wine, it's overrated because there's too many not great ones for, for the price that they're, that they're charging. 
Yeah, the price of grapes has uh, gone up a fair amount, unfortunately. It will uh, continue. Yeah. Uh, the movie, An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, 1984. Uh, I had just graduated from high school. This movie came out. It has been uh, consistently one of the most underrated movies that I've ever seen. It's really hard to get the comedy horror genre correct and the balance. And this movie does it great. And if you go back and watch it, the special effects still stand up. And I, and I guarantee you, you watch it, you, you'll be scared in minute 10 and laughing in, in minute 12. It, it hits that balance incredibly well. It's a great movie. I, the Shaun of the Dead is, uh, is similar. It's pretty, another pretty good yeah. comedy horror, yeah. including zombies. Uh, Warren Zevon's song by almost the same name, Werewolf of London. Underrated or overrated? <laughs> um, as one of my all-time favorite performers, underrated. Underrated. I, 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 can I, listen I, to I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I can listen to Warren Zevon all day long. In fact, I may end up playing him later on. Perfect. Uh, the Cabot Cliffs Golf Course in Nova Scotia, underrated or overrated? Um, it, it, the, the only reason why it would be overrated because it's almost impossible to get to because you got to you know fly, fly somewhere and then drive for five hours. But once you get there, it is worth every, every penny and every piece of pain that you've got because it is a wild piece of property that they've got up on the coast of Canada and some great, great golf. Incredible place. Incredible place. And finally, Jack Kerouac's book, On the Road, underrated or overrated? I, I, I mean, I, I think it's always going to be underrated. It's one of the greatest pieces of, uh, I, you know, given that Jack Kerouac has a, has a home in San Francisco or has a, has a link to San Francisco, the story is incredible. It's a coming-of-age story. You know, it couldn't be better. I, I have to believe it's underrated. Awesome. Well, Mike, look, look, thank you for coming on the show. It's been an amazing interview. Uh, Mike Robinson, head of retail solutions and founding member at the Eighth Notch Incorporated. Good luck on your business, and thank you for coming on the show. Great. Thank you very much, Alec.